I haven't visited yet with Steve and Mary Ann, but I think what we'll do is we'll have an interest night. So anyone that wants to hear more, uh, I mean, I'm just throwing slides up there of places that some have gone, some haven't. I mean, there's a story behind every slide. Uh, so I'll let you know that. Until then, what I'll, what I'll do is, I'll, I'll, I mean, you, you can't have an adventure like that and not talk about it. Uh, so there'll be illustrations from, from that trip as we talk today. As I was spending time yesterday in preparation for today, I, I realized that rather than advancing to the next paragraph in Ephesians 4, that I was really stuck where we were last time we were together. And so I'm going to go over that. It's one of those unusual times. I'm going to remind you of where we were, and then I'm going to, I'm going to illustrate uh, where we were by what happened uh, while we spent time in Bethlehem. This grid over here is for next week, thanks to Christy. She has something to help us really um, just, just kind of walk into the next paragraph in Ephesians 4. So come back next week for what's happening. But today we're going to go back over Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. If I could invite you to stand, uh, let me read out the passage together. You're welcome to follow along in your Bible if you have one. Ephesians 4, verse 1 through 6. In light of all this, Paul writes, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run. Run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert to noticing differences and quick at mending fences. You are all called to travel on the same road in the same direction, so stay together both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who works over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. Please have a seat. Paul encourages us down this road by saying, in light of this, in light of what he has been saying throughout the chapter that preceded this, in light of the mystery of Christ, the mystery, just to remind you, is that people who've never heard of God and those that have heard of him all their lives, what I've been calling the insider and the outsider, which would be the Jew and the Gentile, the Jew and the Gentile, the insider and the outsider, stand on the same ground before God. They get the same offer, the same help, the same promises in Christ Jesus. The message of the good news of the kingdom is accessible and welcoming to everyone across the board. You could add, you could add equally for everyone. Now that message, that mystery revealed to Paul not known to his forefathers in Judaism, got him in prison. That's what got him in prison for teaching that message. But in prison, he talks about the inexhaustible riches 
and the generosity of Christ Jesus. He talks about the extraordinary plan of God. He talks about the Holy Spirit working within us deeply and gently, strengthening us. So his imprisonment is is the foundation for him saying, now get out there and get going. Our calling is to lead a life worthy of the calling that Jesus has called us to. He's called us to travel. He's called us to move out. We're called to walk, even better, to run on the road that God has called us to travel. And as we travel along together, we're to travel with humility and discipline. And I love these phrases, steadily pouring ourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. We're moving together down the road that God has called us to travel. We're we're avoiding the, the potholes in the road. That is, one, being immobilized, sitting around on our hands, not moving at all, being stuck. We're we're not going to stroll off down some path that leads to nowhere. And we're not going to have fits and starts. You know, we want to be steadily moving together down the path that God has called us to travel. So our calling is on the same road, the same direction, together inwardly and outwardly. This is the call of God to the body of Christ universal. Together, every believer on the planet today is to be traveling on the same road, same direction, together. We're to be unified. It looks like this. Our synergy is that together with every believer on the planet today, there's one master, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one God, There's one Father of all, ruling over all, working through all, present in all. And to me, that just serves as this huge flywheel that if we affirm the unity that we have in who our God is, in the faith that we have, it just moves us together down this road, same direction, same road, united by our faith. So Paul says everything we are, everything we think, everything we do, is permeated with oneness. Now that's theory. It's harder to put it into practice. But we don't want to let go of the ideal. We don't want to just say, well, you know, we're never going to get there. A lot of times our out is, well, we'll just wait for Jesus to return. And when he returns, then we'll really be unified. But do we, when we say that, do we realize that when Jesus returns, he calls us to account for things like this? Like he would say, why haven't you been working out your differences? Why haven't you been living in humility? Why haven't you been pouring yourselves out in acts of love with one another? You know, I'm, I'm not, I don't really care that there's division. What I care about is I want you working to resolve it. Have you been working to resolve your differences? Have you been quick to mend fences? Or have you just given up? 
Well, all of that is introduction to our time in Bethlehem. We attended what was called Christ at the Checkpoint Conference. And I witnessed there for a week, I witnessed Messianic believers and Palestinian Christians alert at noticing their differences and quick at mending their fences. Now, I'll tell you later why I think that's important, but let me just bring you into the world that we were in for a week. And I'm going to do that by reading you a story. I've got a slide that tells us that within the body of Christ today, within the body of Christ in Israel and the Palestinian territories, there is tremendous division about what we believe about Israel. That same sort of division is probably existent in this room. We, we have different views about what's going on in that part of the world. So I'm going to read out of this book called Breakthrough. And I'm going to, I'm going to in story form, tell you what I have. Bullet, I have bullet points for everything I'm going to read. But I thought it would be better if I read you the story rather than just give you bullet points. Okay, sound fair? All right. This is my reading chair. There seems to be two kinds of attitudes towards Israel today. The most common attitude is one of general sympathy and concern expressed in the following ideas. Anti-Semitism is a bad thing. The Holocaust was one of the most gruesome events in human history. The Jewish people deserve a place of their own in Israel. When Jews become Christians, they're usually a great blessing because they rediscover so much that Gentile Christians do not have. The restoration of Hebrew thought and culture to the church is a very positive development, be it in dance, music, or holistic Hebrew thought. Christians should witness to Jews sensitively and lovingly. And the emergence of the Messianic Christian movement is an exciting development. This group does not place too much weight on every political development in Israel as a sign of the end times. They want to have equal sympathy for the cause of the Palestinian Arabs who have suffered as a result of the Middle East conflict and believes that Jewish Christians are merely part of the church of Jesus Christ. They do not constitute another people of God. On the other hand, the other less common but usually highly motivated group consists of those who believe that Israel is key to the purposes of God in the world and in the church. They believe that the return to Israel in 1948 was the sign of the last generation before the second coming. They believe that it's a serious error to teach that the church has replaced Israel as the people of God. In a given domestic situation, they will organize special prayer meetings for Israel, hold Feast of Tabernacle celebrations, and motivate tours to the Holy Land. They tend to think that the former group is a little blind and needs to be helped to see how important these things really are. 
The second group tends to use the term replacement theology pejoratively. Those who cannot see the things they see have been blinded by the reformers who established replacement theology. This group sometimes stoops to a rather negative estimation of the motives of the former and makes accusations, the insinuation being that whoever supports replacement theology is likely to be guilty of an underlying anti-Semitism. They sometimes come across with the attitude that those who have understood the place of Israel in the last days are the elite. This tends to irritate the former group, and so feelings have built up. The general shift toward kingdom theology in the church has led to a reaction against the Israel message, and one condescending attitude has been replaced with another. All this does not contribute toward Christian unity. See, if we're on the same road, traveling in the same direction, these are the types of things that we've got to be able to talk about together respectfully. I am not here today to convince you to believe the theology of Israel, sometimes called Christian Zionism, I'm not here to convince you to believe kingdom theology. I'm here to say that when we separate and argue without being in the same room talking, we are not fulfilling what the Bible just encouraged us to do. Notice the differences and mend the fences. So what I'm telling you, what I saw in Bethlehem, and it's illustrated this way, a representative of kingdom theology was sitting in this chair and a representative of the Israel theology was sitting in this chair and this representative said, da-da-da-da-da-da, and this guy said, wow, that's something new. And this guy said, no, what I've been writing all along. What it took was them being in the same room, talking to each other. And there was more common ground. They didn't resolve it. One still believes the theology of Israel. The other still believes the theology of the kingdom. They're they're not on the same page. They probably won't ever be. Jesus will get us there. But they mended the fence. And they were able to say, together we represent the body of Christ You are my brother, I'm your brother. This is what we watched. We watched people listening to the viewpoint of others, even though they didn't agree. They still listened. We watched people feeling the pain and frustration of the other. When we walk through Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum. That was my second Holocaust Museum. The Genocide Museum in Kigali was my first. So I'm walking through these memorials of man's inhumanity to man. Our insanity. We can be so led astray that we kill each other in horrific ways. That's something within us, not within them, within us. 
I don't think that I will ever be able to understand, because I'm not Jewish, how horrific it was for the Jews living on the planet in the 40s. I can understand totally why they have felt that they've been let down by the nations of the world. And the political resolve of the state of Israel is this. We've never been safe anywhere we've lived. Everywhere we've lived outside of our homeland, we've been persecuted. Enough. Enough. We must have our own state where we are the majority, we'll never be a minority again because we're never going to face that kind of thing again. That's the result. And I certainly can understand that. And I would really hope for the nations of the world to say, wow, we have really let you down. On the other hand, I, I, I can tell you that the Palestinian church, our brothers and sisters in Christ, suffer daily under the occupation of the Israeli military. The land that was partitioned to become the state of Israel, 62% of it is under total Israeli military control. 62% gone. The settlements that you hear about are built with no recompense. They don't buy the land from the Palestinian farmer that once farmed that hilltop, they just move in. It's now theirs. It's under military rule. You're no longer there. It's yours. The checkpoints, 99 of them across the West Bank, are humiliating. Palestinians are regularly strip-searched as they come into the Tel Aviv airport. A friend of mine... (coughs) came through and was given a number. He looked at that number and he looked at the Israeli soldier and said, you know, I think this number is a really bad idea. Do you remember somebody else that was given a number? Palestinians are suffering. So I can understand their pain too. And I watched these two groups come together and say, I I feel your pain. I understand your frustration. And then I watch these two groups learning from each other. And I watch these two groups worshiping together. And I watch these two groups having table fellowship together. We got to be part of that. I mean, I had a meal with Messianics and I had a meal with Palestinians. I was watching something that has divided the church of Jesus Christ in the Middle East being mended. It's not over, but something happened. And this is why I think it's a big deal. It's because Jesus is praying. I'm praying not only for these disciples, the original 12 Jewish background believers, but also for all who will ever believe in me, that would be you and me. 
Gentile believers by and large. I pray that they'll all be one. Just as you and I are one. That means intimate relationship with each other, without division, on the same road, the same direction, united in heart. As you are in me, Father, and I'm in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. And what happens if the world believes that the Father sent the Son? We have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. My friends, I believe, I sense, I hope that Steve and Mary Ann and I, plus the 600 other people that were at that conference, were witnessing something historic. That would be something that is, is, is healing the body of Christ, kind of from ground zero in Israel and Palestine where the church began. And that that unity there would begin to trickle out to unify the body of Christ around the globe. And if we really were striving to mend our fences, striving to be united on what unites us, what would happen? I want to read you another story because this is a great vision of what could happen. You ready? I have a theory. When Paul had the vision of the man of Macedonia, he went west with the gospel. If one follows the flow of church history, it becomes apparent that the gospel spread most successfully thereafter in Western Europe. Europe became the cradle of Christianity for centuries. Then Christianity spread through the colonies of the European powers into North and South America, Australia, Africa, and China. Most recently, the gospel has been spreading most dramatically in Central Asia, Indonesia, South Korea, India, and China. The story of the Chinese underground church has become known. This flow represents the gospel gradually encircling the globe. Once China and India have been reached, the the last landmass en route to Israel from the east is the Arab world. The last great missionary thrust will be among the Arabs. And once this is completed, the gospel will have encompassed the globe. Finally, ethnic Israel in Palestine and throughout the diaspora will turn to Christ. And this will lead to the second coming and the resurrection of the dead. The mission to Israel will only be ultimately successful when it comes via the Arabs. If you want to bless Israel, 
Bless the Arabs. God loves mankind everywhere with his redeeming love. I have some suggestions for us. I'd like for us to unite the body of Christ, not divide the body of Christ. I've noticed something. I noticed it at the conference. I visited with a young man that represented a religious right think tank. And he was there to find out what was wrong about the conference. May I suggest something? Why don't we devote ourselves to listening for what is right? I mean, I thought about, you know, at the treasury, you know, those that kind of inspect for counterfeit bills. I mean, you've heard this story. They don't study counterfeit bills. They study the real bill. They study the truth so that they can recognize the error. Wouldn't it be refreshing if politically and theologically we focused on what the other side did right rather than always criticizing the other side for what they did wrong? By just being negative, where, what does that get us? Where, where, where does that get us? It doesn't unite us. I mean, right now, we are, as a, we're so polarized as a nation. I mean, hello, Republicans do some good things and Democrats do some good things. Why don't we start talking about what the other guys do well affirm the other guys, and maybe that would get us back on track. Why don't we do that in the church? I don't like heresy hunters. And it's not not that I'm afraid of that. I mean, I'm sure I say stuff that's off the wall. You might think I'm a nut today. That's just fine. But something I said today was right on. So emphasize that. Take what is right and build upon it. And whatever is wrong, pray for me. You know, it's just that simple. Let's start building each other up. Let's stop tearing each other down. We're getting nowhere by tearing each other down. Let's unite the universal body of Christ based upon what we're doing right and let's suspend judgment. That's one of the most freeing things I learned to do in my life is I can suspend judgment and I can listen for what I agree, not the things that I do. If I just listen for the things I disagree, that's all I hear and I don't hear our common ground. We have been called to the ministry of reconciliation. That's based upon truth, not identification of error. May we do that? May we unite the body of Christ? I mean, could I, is there an amen? Is there a shake of the head? Somebody want to you know, stand up and shout hallelujah? I mean, if we're going to be like our friends across the town, we've got to do that kind of stuff. Can you let it go? Can you let go being so negative? 
Can you let go of listening for the error rather than listening for the truth? Jesus is the truth. When we follow Jesus, we listen for truth. We don't point out error all the time. Let's stay alert at noticing differences. There there are differences in this room. And we're in the same room. And so when those differences begin to tear us apart, let's be quick to mend the fences. And again, that's not based upon you have to believe what I believe. I mean, I heard a pastor one time, not on this topic, but on another topic. He said, if you believe this way, stand up. People naively stood up. said, okay, there's the door. We don't believe that way. Get out. Whoa, baby. What is that? What is that? Be mature enough to have differences? Somebody at the front has to control what everybody... I mean, I thought Jesus was in control. I'm glad to share with you what I believe. On this, I, I believe kingdom theology is a better track to be on than the theology of Israel. That's where I am. You're welcome to disagree with me. We can go have talkie. We can go have coffee. And we we can talk about that as long as you want to talk about it. Because I like talking about it. You know? That is a new word. Combination of coffee and talk. We're called to love each other. We're not called to convince each other what I believe. Loving each other means that we can have differences and we can respect each other and we can have conversation. And then finally, I I would strongly, because I've been there, because I've seen it, because I've been on both sides of the wall, because I've listened to both stories, I've heard the the narrative of the Israeli. I've heard the narrative of the Palestinian. And they'll never agree on their narrative. They'll they'll never agree. But I can pray for the peace and the justice. They go hand in hand. And they're both biblical concepts. The peace and justice, Jerusalem and Bethlehem. We need to pray for both. Uh, We don't need to pick sides. We, We need to be reconcilers in this world. And my friends, I visited the shepherd's field. I visited the place where the shepherds were taking care of their flocks on the night that the angels appeared in the heavens. I've I've been there. I've looked up in that heaven. And those angels said, what did they say? Glory to God in the highest. And because of this night and because of the one that's been born, peace on earth and goodwill among men upon whom God's favor rests. That was spoken over the West Bank, Bethlehem. And I believe those angels said what is true. We stand in the way of what God wants to do. God wants peace. 
God has never said there'll never be peace. He'll finalize it. We got to work for it. So please pray for both Jerusalem and Bethlehem. May I invite you to stand with me? Jesus, as we stand together, we want to affirm we have one master with one faith, with one baptism. There is one God. There's one Father of all. In our affirmation of what we believe and hold dear, we ask you to rule over each and all of us. We ask you to work through all of us. We ask you to be present in all of us. My desire, O Lord, as a community that is following you, is that we travel on the same road together, that we travel the same direction together, that we're together inwardly and outwardly. And I pray that you would give us the humility and the grace to notice our differences. And when those differences begin to divide us, to be quick at mending those fences. Lord, I want to thank you for what only the Holy Spirit could have done in uniting the body of Christ in Israel and the Palestinian territories. Thank you that I saw the movement of the Holy Spirit bringing people together. Thank you that you're uniting the body of Christ. And I pray that we would be in step with you, Holy Spirit, that we would be people that unite rather than divide. And Lord, the bottom line of that is that when we are one, when we're together, same road, same direction, together, that others will see that you are real. Lord, I so much want people to know who you are, to love you and to serve you like we do. So Lord, put us on this track. And Lord, let us walk together in these really exciting days. So I give you thanks. We bless you for what you're doing. May we stay in step with you in your name. Amen. This topic is a topic that raises all kinds of questions and conversations. So I'm going to take my chair and I'm going to go sit over there. And if you have any question or if you want to have any kind of conversation, please come join me and we can visit some.